Have you seen the movie Castaway? Castaway stars Tom Hanks as a FedEx employee who's been stranded on a deserted island for four years after his plane crashes in the Pacific Ocean. A blood-smeared volleyball, which makes the appearance of a face, becomes his only friend. He names it Wilson, and he talks to it for the four years he's on the island. He makes a makeshift raft to finally escape the island with Wilson strapped in as they go through a horrible storm together. In the most dramatic scene in the entire movie, uh, Tom Hanks wakes up after the storm clears to realize that Wilson's no longer on the makeshift raft. So he jumps into the sea and he tries to save Wilson only to realize he's too far. Tom Hanks cries out, Wilson! And if you have a heart, you feel bad for the guy. Like, you might even tear it up a bit. And then you realize he literally risked his life to save a volleyball with blood-smeared eyeballs on it. It's ridiculous. In an age where we're more connected than ever, people actually report feeling more disconnected. 72% of people report feeling lonely or isolated, even when surrounded by family and friends. What's interesting is that Tom Hanks was forced into isolation, where we've created our own. In fact, I'd argue we created our own Wilsons. Don't believe me? Look at your phones. Look at the way you talk and interact with them. Look at the way we constantly keep them close within arm's reach, either in our hands or in our pockets. Look at the way we freak out if it looks like we're going to drop it or lose it. We've created our own Wilsons. So why is it when we're more connected than ever, people actually feel more isolated? voice you just heard was that of Robert Collier. Robert is a quality human being, someone who I am grateful to know. We chopped it up about some amazing topics, everything from the humanity behind COVID-19. Is the Black Lives Matter movement being hijacked or the message being distorted? And also Robert's work in helping to build black businesses. I'm honored to have you guys check out Robert Collier. Awesome. Robert, how you been, man? Been pretty good. Yeah, been pretty well. How about you? Uh, pretty pretty good. I would say decent. I feel like I'm living the same day every day, pretty much. So <laughs> I'm like, uh, oh, man. I used to, I'm used to like getting out and traveling once every couple months, like my own time. I'm definitely yeah. craving that again. Yeah, it's funny because uh, my girlfriend just moved here from Miami, here in mm -hmm. uh, Dallas, Texas, where I live. And literally for the first time I shared with her while we were on a walk that I actually had the first thought of wanting to be out just because I see so many people outside. Mm -hmm. And I really haven't had that thought, uh, to be honest. Like I've been okay with being, you know, virtually self-isolated, but mm -hmm. it... Uh, you know, we were out walking on a Saturday night and it makes you think, it's like, man, do we, do we have this thing wrong? Like, we, <laughs> <laughs> you see so many people out. So it was, uh, it was kind of a funny thought that I shared with her. Yeah, I actually have had similar th thoughts. I mean, I've been generally like, yeah, no big deal. I'm just kind of holed up here in this town. And, and then I'm like, I don't know, man, I want to be out doing stuff, you know, like, we got to figure this out, you know, like. <laughs> Yeah, I hear you. I mean, I mean, on my end, I'm, I've been working from home now since 2016. Yeah, really, 2015, maybe even. So I'm a little bit more used to it, but um, and I'm I'm pretty good about you know, if I need to to do something or stay away from something, I can do it. But um, yeah, I know you know the conversations I've had with her. She's a big traveler. We both are, mm -hmm. and she can't wait 
to get out of the country. She loves going to Haiti. Mm -hmm. I love traveling and experiencing new countries. So I can definitely empathize 100%. It was funny. I was watching Monday Night Football and the Raiders have, you know, they're in Vegas now and they have this brand new stadium. And I was like, oh my gosh, I guess I moved from Vegas here a couple of years ago. I was like, I need to be there. I need to be in that stadium, man, ripping it up, enjoying the new Death Star. <laughs> you know? yeah. So I can imagine myself really go, you know, getting, getting around quite a bit, um, probably next year, hopefully next year, you know. I understand. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of see how things go. So I, I totally, I totally understand. Like uh, we were walking, and like I said, I mean, I had the thought, and I've had this a couple of times, right? So when this whole COVID thing happened, um, I began really kind of looking into the numbers and everything beginning around December. And I remember sitting my my family down in February before it hit, saying, "Hey, I think this thing is going to be serious. I don't think we're prepared for it." I estimated, uh, unfortunately, the number of deaths that I thought mm-hmm. it would range in between. Uh, we're we're right, yeah, we're right in between there. And more importantly, because my dad has an autoimmune disease, he had a double lung transplant back in yeah. 2015. I wanted to make sure we took it seriously. And I remember, you know, for the weeks leading up to that, it was about three, four, maybe even six weeks. I was like, man, do I have this wrong? Like, because. I'm looking at the numbers and I'm seeing the stats and all this sort of stuff. And and then sure enough, about a week or so after, we started getting some numbers of, of people passing and whatnot. And so flash, fast forward to now, seeing all the people out on the streets and yeah. you know just having a good time. I was like, man, do we have this wrong? And so I shared with her, I was like, look, at worst case scenario, we spend one to two years of really kind of isolating ourselves and things like that and all of our friends you know other people have a great time like they just they have a great time out there the world and stuff and we don't experience the same to that to the same extent Um, but best case scenario we've protected ourselves in in certain ways and and again more importantly protected family and uh, because there's still like a lot of unknowns about these things so we both agree that 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 made the most sense for right now so i don't know where she'll be you know weeks or months from now but Mm -hmm. for right now that's what makes sense what's been your observation of just i mean you mentioned the people are out you know now that we've kind of digested this over the past seven eight months or so or six months what's been your thoughts about kind of how things have gone in our country about it it's been really disappointing that's that's the easiest way to say it. It's been really disappointing and from a few levels. Um, I think, number one, we could and should have better leadership from the top down because mm-hmm. I think that with better leadership, we would have potentially more programs in place, things that are able to protect the most vulnerable population and just even symbolically and from a communication standpoint, I think there definitely could be better leadership. I don't I, personally, I don't think there's any really question about that, uh, regardless of where you sit politically. And then secondly, it's also disappointing for me as a citizen of the U.S. because, you know, again, I, I know this has become a little bit of a political matter and I don't think it ever should have been. Um, but for me, you know, even if some uh, people aren't as vulnerable to uh, death and or other effects of this, you know, disease of this illness, uh, we still should be acting in, in in such a way that we're we're really looking out for those who are. And I, I don't see that. Um, you know, I live I live in a really um, kind of like a bustling area in, in Dallas, and mm-hmm. you know, I, I walk outside and I I have uh, bars next to me and stuff and. You know, I just see just the actions of so many people and I'm like, I really boil it down to like, there's going to be people that die as a result of the actions that some people are taking. And I know that can seem extreme. I don't think it is, but um, I think some of the people who are taking some actions that are putting other people at risk, particularly vulnerable people, I think if they looked at it in such a way that, man, you know, my actions, their actions can literally result in the death of a loved one or someone else, I would hope that they would take it more seriously. But based upon what I've seen, um, you know, just that really hasn't taken place. So this country, I just, I feel like we shouldn't have 
I haven't looked at the numbers lately, but I don't feel like we should have a third of the global deaths, I think is the last time I looked mm-hmm. at the numbers, which was a while ago. Um, you know, the illnesses and just lack of so many resources and things that should take place. And then in addition, what's happened economically. So um, it's really disappointing is, is the best way to put it. You think that there is people's mindsets are heavily influenced by uh, the media and, and the information related to COVID-19 or um, like, wh- what is that that maybe would make somebody say, hey, I, you know, I'll just take my chances and not really worried about it? Yeah, I, I mean, in my estimation, I think it's a few of the things that you mentioned. One is media. Media plays a, a big role. And I don't mean media so much as um, particular networks or organizations, that too, but media just in terms of how people consume information yeah. online, digitally, video, audio, et cetera. And I think a lot of the media is, is really difficult to understand who to believe. You know, you get so many yes. mixed messages and it's really challenging. I mean, I know doctors, I know, you know, epidemiologists, I know other people and, and even some of what they share and or perceive to be is, is still mixed. And so you're getting all of these conflicting, confusing signals and noise and you're not sure exactly what to believe. So I think media is a big component, but also I think there are media uh, people and and otherwise that have you know particular agendas uh, leaning politically that mix things up either intentionally or unintentionally. So media, I think, is a big piece, and um, and yeah, I, I think there's a lot a lot of things that go into it as well. And I, I do think that um, this has already been really kind of excavated, but that there's a lot of um, outside influence from outside of the country and you know, dollars that are being poured into certain campaigns. I mean, there was entire, oh, yes. uh, yeah, yeah. So that's a whole road to going down. But there the was The destabilization entire- of countries through, um, you know, social media marketing and things uh, is incredible. The movie, uh, The Social Media Dilemma, or a documentary on, ne- on Netflix, wow, like mind yep. blown, that whole thing. Exactly. Yeah, I, I was, it's it's really uh, it's crazy. Yeah, mind blown is exactly it. And to know that that's happened and is very likely continuing mm-hmm. to happen now is um, it's really challenging. And then and then so you know you watch that we've watched that so we know what's going on, and yet it still is able to influence thinking. It's still able to influence decisions. What's that so disconnect? That- if you watch it and you still that happens, what is that? Um, you know, I wish I knew, but it, to me, it's kind of like a fish in water, you know, a, a fish in water. The old saying is that they don't really know that they're in water. Mm. And similarly with all this information and people buying, like these social media networks are, are, are silos, they're isolated. Mm-hmm. And so people believe that they're getting proper information or they're getting the right information, but not knowing that they're really being closed around other people who believe the same things that they do. And so it's really, it's pervasive. It's uh, it's systemic. So I think that's at least part of it. I would say for sure. Definitely. Yeah. I'm curious. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, man. Uh, I, you know, I can't, when you're talking and I was just thinking like, what are we going to remember about this time? And this whole thing, I think that, um, one, I think people are, when they're removed from something, they tend to have, um, and they're not as, when you're not close to something, you tend to look at it as an object, an inanimate object. It doesn't feel real because it's not close to you. You know, there are many people who have, it's COVID has wiped out most of their family, family members, and that's real. And for some people, they may be in a place where they don't even know anybody that's had it, so they believe it's fake for that. But I think for a lot of people that they they just don't, if it hasn't affected them, they just don't, they don't care that much about it. Like I've known people who haven't cared much about it, and then when they got it or had somebody around them, it completely changed their whole mindset. So it's kind of like we don't believe stuff until it happens to us. But my whole mindset is, why does it take that? Why does it have to be next to you for you to follow 
the rules on something or be like, I'm going to be vigilant about this. And I think I have personal, I struggle with that. Like, cause I'm like, okay, we're going to take care of people. Like my dad is, uh, has to get a heart transplant. So he's living in John Hopkins hospital right now, waiting a heart transplant. I can't see him. My mother can't see him. We can't visit him. Be- one, because of that, because it's such a high level thing, but cause he can't afford to get sick at all. And we can't afford to infect him if we are asymptomatic or whatever. So yeah, it's close to me. But even before that, I always thought to myself, well, I'd like to do the best job that I can do as a human being to protect other human beings, even if I don't have all the information. I mean, if I get surgery in a hospital, I want my doctor to wear a mask. I don't want him sneezing on me or she's sneezing on me, whoever, you know, like, I want the team there to be as safe as possible so that my surgery goes as well as it can be. And I equate it to that. I'm just, it's disappointing when you, you hear things and you see things and this total disregard for other people that honestly, that it cripples me sometimes to hear that, you know? Yeah. I mean, first, I'm really sorry to hear about your father um, Thank you. being in the process of getting a heart transplant. Yeah. Is is that is that related to COVID? Is that something that was pre-existing? Uh, it was pre-existing. He's had uh, a bad heart for a very long time and finally got on the list, which is good, um, and just started uh, residing in the hospital yesterday, actually. So I think it's been a big thing for our family, but um, you know, my parents are always like, hey, you know, we're going to try to consider other people. I think that's been my life is trying to consider other people. And I wonder why that's not a predominant theme that I've seen out there. It's kind of like, well, it's my body. I do whatever I want. Where's this common human thread that we're missing? You know, what is that? Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, first, like I said, I'll be praying for your father and and I'm hopeful that everything turns out uh, very well for him and for your family. And you're right. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. You said so many things that I feel and think about to myself as well, Um, starting with people don't care by and large unless something affects them personally. And you you hit it, right? So cancer, for example, people don't care about cancer unless they or someone they know are affected or um, pass from it by and large. You know, it's cancer starts becoming important when it affects a member of the family. And I look at other things, racism. Um, By and large, most people don't necessarily care about racism, but uh, you'll see it sometimes within either, you know, mixed families when one of the two is, uh, you know, a a black or African-American and the other is not, and or they adopt a child that consideration for racism becomes a lot more real when your child mm-hmm. has to grow up and has to walk the streets and you have to have that that conversation with them of what it's like to be a black man or a black woman um it becomes a lot more real and it hits you more personally and that's the same that seemingly true for a number of things and that's kind of one of the things that i distilled down as well is you know people care when it hits them um, so y- your question is really a good one. Like how, why is that, that idea of caring for other people and sacrificing f- yourself, maybe a good time, maybe going out as much as you want to, maybe traveling and all those things. Why is that not more prevalent? Why is that not the predominant thought right now? And I, I wish I knew the answer. Um, I do, again, I believe part of it begins with leadership. Um, but, but there's more to it than that too. And, um, I'm not sure what the answer is there. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm searching for that. I'm like, okay, what, why, what is that? You know, why are certain parts of the country different? It just feels so politicized. Like we politicize everything and then we get put into different, um, teams. Like we're drafting different teams. Like, okay, you're on this team, you're on that team. And and I just feel like, well, aren't we really kind of all on the same you know, human team here? I mean, it's like, why don't we want to do well for each other? I, that's what gets me. I don't understand why we don't want to do well for each other. 
it feels very self-centered to me. And honestly, Robert, it's just very disappointing. I don't know how else to say it just feels disappointing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For me too. Um, you know, and, and the, the thing that's even further disappointing is that when it's easy for people to look at the number of deaths as just numbers, when you put a human soul behind that, when you recognize that that was somebody who had the opportunity to live five, 10, 20 plus years more of their lives, and that was a mother, a daughter, a, a grandmother, a husband, a son, a brother, and the impact those people would have had on other people's lives, like that's when it becomes real. Yeah. And it's really disappointing that people aren't acting in such a way to protect and help other people. Like you just wish that the people around you were looking out for each other uh, rather than just for themselves. But again, you know, it's, um, it's really disappointing. And it's particularly, it's really interesting because for me, I have uh, the opportunity and the fortune to be able to speak to, you know, friends outside the country on a regular basis. I have a friend of mine who lives in New Zealand and he and I talk one to twice, uh, one to two times a week. And just hearing like how their countries dealt with it, right? So they've been one of the best in the world uh, in terms of the response to, to yeah. COVID-19. And just the questions he's asked, like he just sees on the outside looking in and he just laughs to, to keep from basically like, you know, crying and like just being so disappointed. Like he just doesn't understand it. You know, he'll ask very basic questions and, um, in some ways, it's a weird confirmation. Again, going back to like, man, those questions for myself, like, man, do I have this wrong? Like, what am I missing? Yeah. Um, in some ways, it's a weird confirmation. In other ways, it's just it leaves being more disappointing. And to the uh, to the extent that um, I'm okay with having the conversations because it's informing someone else who I think will have the ability to impact others in the future as well. And so it's kind of that back and forth. And I, I feel like. It's helping him. But then in another, another uh, perspective, it's like this conversation isn't helping, you know, and hmm. and part of that is because, you know, the actions is not affecting people's actions. And so it's just like, man, this is it becomes a, a mute conversation at some point. And um, it goes back to that disappointing feeling again. Yeah, it's. I don't know how else to explain it. You know, it's kind of, and I'm not sure. I'm a very hopeful person in general, but I, I'm I'm not sure. Like, there's just going to be this mass societal psychological change about things. I I don't know. I don't. It's very dip. There's very few things, and and I think that people unite together as humans and go. You know what? This is for the good of our species of humanity. Uh, and you like to think that things like this would be, but and, and in some ways, it's it's exposed this weird artery, and 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 human thought and consciousness and how we behave and how we feel about each other, and I think that exposure has been particularly tough to deal with, at least for me, because I think you want to believe better things, but sometimes reality is not that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I am as well, I'm a hopeful and optimistic person. And I really do take a couple sides. One is human species is very resilient. Um, you know, we're, we're going to make it beyond this, obviously. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and so by and large, I just look at the lives that we live and it just being such a blip on the radar. Um, and so, you know, on par, we're going to make it beyond this. So that's that's number one. And, and obviously, we both agree about that. Um so that's something that's a little bit more optimistic too is I really do um, tend to be empathetic in that some people just don't know. And I say some people, you know, I, I'm not the most educated on this either. I, I've, I've spent time in, into it, but I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not, you know, a doctor like, like you and, and other people. You know, I don't have access to the same level of information well, I may have access to it, but I don't have the same knowledge and I haven't devoted um, the time and the effort to be able to educate myself to the highest level. Um, so, you know, so I, I fall potentially victim to some things, but then also just what we talked about before with social media and, you know, the things that happen with them, the name is escaping right now. I want to say Britannica, but that's not it. But, um, Oh, I know but, what you're talking about. The election things, another, and, uh, yeah. oh my, uh, Cambridge Analytica. There you go. Yeah, exactly. With Cambridge Analytica and, and other things. So we know that these things take place. So I really, I am very much empathetic 
in that some people just don't know better. And there's a lot of forces that are acting uh, really against that, against just getting the facts. We don't have just the facts anymore. P news information has become very much politicized, multiple agendas. So it becomes difficult. And again, you know, it's, it's difficult to know the truth. You see a post on social media and unless you do the digging, I mean, it's gotten to the point now where you, you know, you see a post on social media that says something salacious or potentially insightful, then unless you're doing the research on the back end, finding sources, looking up the facts, um, by and large, when I've done that, I've found a lot of those things to be not true, but you're not going to have a lot of people that are doing that. And so they're just getting information, getting headlines, uh, not digging into it. So that's not to excuse it. Don't get me wrong. That's not to excuse people not looking deeper and questioning and all these type of things. But it's also to say, I, I understand there's a level of um, ignorance on, on many sides, on both sides, but people just don't know better too. And, and so then if you remove those things and we still act that same way, then um, there's even further disappointment. But um, yeah, I do have that sense as well. One of the craziest things I found out, Robert, I mean, maybe you know this already, but I, I had a, a reporter on recently um, and journalist, and I was talking, we were talking about sources, you know, you're just saying that. And I said, well, tell me, t take me deeper on sources and how people get sources in, in the news and things and who, who whistleblows a lot of these things and, you know, brings up all of these articles. And she said, well, you wouldn't believe it, but... Honestly, a, a lot of the bad press about, let's say, a person is usually released from that person. They're the ones who release it, you, normally. I said, are you serious? She said, mostly. She said, it's usually they crave, they don't care what type of attention they're getting. They just want to be relevant. And so even if it's a really damning story about, let's say, a particular person, it's usually actually from that person that released the information about it. That just blew my mind, literally, you know? Yeah, that's, I didn't know that. Um, I can understand the thought, all press is good press. Um, <laughs> obviously, I don't, I don't believe that, but I understand, you know, being relevant <laughs> and, and those things and always being in attention, 50 Cent and other people have done that. Yeah. But yeah, um, that is that is really interesting. Uh, it's it's, it's, it's awesome. weird, man. It's like, it I wouldn't even think to do that, but like, What's the mindset where even, you know, and then think about the weird psychology of like, maybe you release it and then you deny it. Wait a minute. You release that about yourself, yeah. you know, yeah. that's crazy to me. And we see it all the time, right? Like we see it with celebrities, yeah. um, sex tapes, you know, uh, sex yeah. tapes, launching people into stardom, celebrity, uh, nude pictures, stuff about relationships and them coming out and denying it and then finding out that they did it. Shoot. You see, um, individuals claiming that, you know, like, a, uh, some people hung them up on a tree and right. tarred them and that was wrong. So I, we do see it. Um, I, I get, I get the idea. Uh, I wouldn't do it. No, <laughs> that's, not my, that's not my motive or agenda, but yeah, that's, that's kind of wild. It's very wild. It's just, I don't, that's why I love doing the podcast because I learn all the time directly from people who are doing uh, these type of investigative things or in a certain field. Like if I want to learn about somebody, I want to learn about artificial intelligence. I have somebody who works in the field on yep. and we talk about it. I don't, you know, just get random articles about it, but I want to transition a little bit and get your thoughts of we've, you know, we've had. Last time you and I talked, I think we were pretty much in the thick of the beginnings of things after George Floyd, um, that whole deal. And then as more things happened, what do you, where do you think we stand? You know, we've had some time between that and we've, 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 we've seen a lot of protesting and different things in cities. What's your thought process of where we're at with everything? Um, that's really challenging to answer. I, so I have some level of disappointment with this as well. Um, again, my finger hasn't been on the pulse of everything as much as it had been before, especially when you and I connected, but here's a few things that I, I see. I see that in June or July, 
support among white Americans for Black Lives Matters and for the protests was sitting, I believe, around 60, 67%. So we'll call it 60 to 70%. And now that same support among white Americans is somewhere around 30 to 40%. Um, so we've seen a drop in that. And so that tells a story, right? That white Americans are where they before were more likely to support these things that are now less likely. Um, Similarly, another study with white Americans who previously, um, uh, and I I may be misquoting this, so I want to be clear about this because I don't recall the exact number right now, but I want to say it was um, above 50% or between 40 to, uh, we'll call it mid-50s, believed that systemic racism was a problem. Now that number has dropped dramatically. I want to say it's around 40% or below as well. Um, So that tells a story, right? And so the predominant story that that tells me is that white Americans no longer believe this is either a problem or they no longer support the movement behind it. And there's a number of reasons for that. But that to me is, is also disappointing, right? And I think, you know, part of that stems from Black Lives Matter, the name, the brand associated with it, and some things that are happening out there in the world. Um, But someone who is, in my opinion, someone who is smart, someone who um, is compassionate, sees beyond the brand, etc., and is still empathetic, compassionate, and resilient towards what lies underneath it this idea that systemic racism and in particular police brutality needs to be addressed. So that tells a story on the flip side, the support for black lives matter among black Americans and really most people of color. So black Americans remains almost identical. It's basically exactly the same. If mm-hmm. I remember correctly, it's around 67% or, or more, um, probably much more than that. So that, that could be incorrect. Um, Hispanic, it remains pretty close. It's dropped a little bit there. Asian Americans, it remains pretty much the same. Um, So people of color still support this movement at about the same level. So that also tells a story. That's very telling as well. Um, And one other thing just that I would have shared another time, but I'm tired as hell of hearing that it's a few bad apples. Mm. Man, I'm so tired of that. I'm yeah. so tired of that. Like, how many apples are there? It's a lot I mean, of apples. Really, it's a <laughs> lot. I mean, God, like, most of the black men that I talk to can tell you a story about police officers and cops that they've had to deal with that was not a positive story. Mm. Um, and like, you know, just do the numbers. Like, how many freaking bad apples are there? Like, come on. Um, so I'm tired of that. And so to get back to your, your question, um, I'm not sure exactly where we stand. I did have a sense, and I think you and I kind of talked about this. Um, I did have a sense that you we needed to, and I hate even using this terminology because it's ridiculous, but strike while the iron's hot. Mm-hmm. You know, in other words, make progress while this was at the forefront of a lot of white America's minds. Cause I felt that it would not be as much at the forefront unless more immediate things brought their, our attention to it. And so um, to kind of wrap, wrap it up, the thought is um, I'm not sure exactly. Um, I see people in sports, you know, NBA, et cetera, having to do or feeling like they have to do more in order to advance this cause than they should. Um, it shouldn't be on celebrities. It shouldn't be on athletes. It should be on all of us. It should be on institutional change. It should be on political change, economic change. And um, I think many people are trying to do the best that they can. Um, others are not. But I think many people are trying to do the best that they can. But, um, you know, I'm I'm a really optimistic uh, guy and I won't lose that. But I'm also very sober minded with this as well. And um, 
you know, history, history has a, the potential to repeat itself or they say history rhymes. And so, um, mm. you know, you look at past events and that, that tells the story for the future, unfortunately. Did we have a window that we may have missed on some level? And, and part two of that, do you think some of this, the messaging behind Black Lives Matter has been, matters has been, I hate to say this word, hijacked, or the messaging hasn't, has been distorted on some level? So with your first question, did we miss a window? Um, I, I wouldn't use those words personally because I really do think that people, we worked. I mean, I can speak for myself personally. I've never worked harder in my life in a two-week period than I did when I was working on a project called Black Business Matters. Never in my life have I worked that hard. Um, and I know other people. I know people who were, you know, I'm connected with people um, that I'm looking at partnering with on some capacity, looking at rebuilding black business. I know other people who were looking at the black dollar investing. So people taking the economic approach. Um, obviously, you saw athletes. You saw a lot of people stepping up. Um, the young woman that plays tennis now and her, you know, representing the names of many African-Americans that were killed. Um, celebrities and a lot of our counterparts, right? So it wasn't just black folks, white folks were stepping up, going to protest. Um, and I was really proud of that. So I think there was a lot of effort. Um, is there a better way to utilize that energy? The answer is probably yes. Does anybody, do we have that answer? Um, and do we know exactly what that is? I think the answer probably is no. Uh, we probably need to lift more voices up who have more answers. So I don't think we missed it. I really think that we did a lot. But just like with any systemic issue relating to humanity, it's going to take more time, you know, and, and, and look, I'll just be, I'll be blunt and straightforward. Like, um, again, history rhymes and repeats itself. Look, I mean, if, if this, if we're not, if we're not finding a solution, then we got to look at other solutions. We got to look at other alternatives. Yeah. Um, if people aren't interested in solution, cool, then figure something else out. So that's one thing. Um, and to your second point about has the, your second question about whether the Black Lives Matter movement brand voice has been hijacked, I think that's unequivocally a yes. Yeah, I, I mean, feel the same way, honestly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, whether, whether it's the outside influences and some of the things that have been reported that they did at these protests, um, internally, I don't know as much about that, so I, I can't really speak on that, but that's possible. But I've seen different um, principles that are, are changing a little bit. Um, so, yes, I, I think that's definitely a possibility. But again, for me, by and large, I think it's been overwhelmingly a positive thing because it puts in front of our faces something that absolutely needs to be addressed. And, and hell, we've known that. Like you yeah, talk to any brother, you talk to any brother walking around. We know this. Any sister walking, we know this. Like it's, it, it, we've been we've been beating this drum for decades. Yeah, longer than I've been alive, longer than you've been alive, mm -hmm. and and for decades and centuries. So we we know it. Um, it's just a matter of you know what is the solution, and if people aren't interested in the solution, then cool. What do we do now? Yeah, I I I asked that question. Just I'm curious. You know, it's just because. I consider myself someone who really dives deep into things. And, and as I've really looked at everything, I go, has this been taken over by weird forces in some way? And I feel it has. And I feel that in some ways it, it muddles what is trying to be done on some level. That doesn't take away that there's been a lot of wonderful things being done, but why, why, why is there always this thing that, this thing that takes something that has this great, sense of forward progress and movement and try to distort it. And I feel like that happens with a lot of good things is like there's a section of, of, of whatever society, people, organizations that do their best to try to muddle that message. And I feel like it's easier than ever because of the internet now to do that. I, I agree with you a hundred percent. Have you not to get to conspiracy theory? Um, but have you ever heard of something called Cointelpro? No. Okay. So this is not a, I don't believe this is a conspiracy theory. I'm pretty sure this has all been vetted. And I mean, at least I've done significant research on it myself. So 
Um, I would say 99% sure what I'll share is, is absolutely fact. But Pro was a campaign that was initiated by the FBI under J. J. Edgar Hoover, who was their director at the time. And he was a profound racist. In fact, when he was asked what is the biggest threat to American democracy, he replied that it was Negro unity. Oh. And so when you have someone who is at the heights of an organization such as that, who believes that black people being unified is a threat to an entire nation, um, that's just really a sad place. But also that person has a level of influence that many people don't, and so he can do some things. So uh, COINTELPRO was essentially a campaign started um, by the FBI to dismantle what they thought were um, threats in the African-American community um, to get rid of sort of that Negro unity. And um, now I'll speak to just a little bit. Uh, again, I think this is all still 99% fact, but I'll, this piece I, I could be wrong on. And, and, you know, you can do your own research on. But they, they looked into Martin Luther King. Um, it is said that potentially they were involved in, you know, sharing some of the, the secrets of Martin Luther King, things that he was doing, wasn't doing. Mm-hmm. They were looking at Malcolm X. And one story, which is said, and, and this piece I believe to be true, but I'll, I'm not 100% certain, but there's a guy of the name of Fred Hampton. And he was a young black man um, who was part of the head of the Black Panthers. And actually, there's a movie coming out about this. So okay. you'll be able to see that as well. And um, the Black Panthers, you know, they had um, multi-point uh, principles that they lived upon, which included, of course, Negro unity. But he was involved in so many things. Young black man. I mean, I, I want to say he was maybe 21. When he passed, he was in his young 20s. And one of the things that he was doing is he was actually uniting some gangs in a particular city. And he was also feeding uh, poor, poor people who didn't have the ability to. There's this, you know, this um, picture of people in, in black clothes handing out Thanksgiving turkeys. And that comes from the Black Panthers who did that. Well, they found out about Fred Hampton and, and sort of uh, what he was doing. And I say they, you know, whatever those forces may be. Yeah, and it said that um, they actually uh, drugged him. They had somebody internally to drug him, and again, this is all in that movie uh, that's soon to be coming out. They had somebody. They infiltrated uh, the Black Panther Party. They had someone drug him, and they actually committed a raid on where he stayed at, and he was asleep. They drugged him the evening, and they uh, blew him away with the shotgun. Um, and there were some words that was said after they did that, but, um, you know, a man who was asleep, obviously non-responsive, mm-hmm. nothing like that. And they killed him. And so there's a lot of stories again, whether they're confirmed or not, um, about what Cointelpro did, but, uh, it's something that you should definitely look up because it goes to the point of exactly what you're saying about there being outside forces that are hijacking things. That is not new. <laughs> it's right, just not right outside forces who are against a movement or against a people who are, you know, uniting themselves, whether you go back to the Tulsa massacre, where it was literally, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, Black Wall Street, Street, absolutely black folks being murdered, literally planes dropping bombs from above on civilians, and they couldn't be protected um, by the very police and, and other forces that were meant to protect them. That stuff is not new, so that doesn't surprise me. Um, but it's sad, it's disappointing, and um, again, you know, it's uh, we 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 read the tea leaves and we got to uh, assess what the situation is, and you know, kind of move forward from there. Do you think there is some level of maybe this is a loaded thing, some level of fear of minority unification, black unification? What is that fear? If that is a thing. I can't speak to what that fear is. Um, Obviously I don't have that fear, so I I couldn't speak to that, but is, does it exist? I I believe the answer is, like you said, um, I believe the answer is unequivocally. Yes. Um, If Cointelpro is true, which all by all indications it is, if what he said is true, which by all indications it is, um, 
And then just looking at the time it took for black folks in this country to get voting rights and what they had to endure in order for that to occur, there is a fear of um, groups, minority groups, certain minority groups having a political voice, having their say, having economic empowerment. Um, the answer is undoubtedly yes. And I think anybody who does a little bit of self-education um, knows that the answer is 100% yes. You know, what's interesting about this is I think if, if you pay attention, if you really go down deep, which is hard to do sometimes with people because we're such a headline-driven culture, I, I feel the demographics of our country are changing. And I wonder, is it that the majority uh, of our country, is there this sense of uh, loss? Is it power? Is it, is it an impending loss of of power potentially in the future? Is it a a gasp of like, hey, we were not, we will not be the majority for for much longer, and there's this this fear of this tide coming. Do you sense that, or am I just I'm just spitting in the wind here? I mean, about it, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I do. I sense that, um, and I think it's probably something deeper than that too, mm. right? Because even even if someone's not the majority, so what? What does that mean? Um, does that mean now you have to interact with other people who don't look like you and you um, you have some level of disgust or you feel like they're inferior? Is, is that part of it? Is it a loss of power, which I think you spoke to? Is that really the more important thing? Not so much the numbers, but now does this mean, you know, representation of things and you lose power? Like, there's something I believe that's deeper than um, simply the majority. I think that's it for a lot of people, sure. But what is that thing that's deeper? And you know, we could we could speculate. I think you're you're going down the right path. Um, again, I, I wouldn't know because that's that's not me. I don't feel that right. Way. Right. It's it reminds me of kind of um, I don't know. I always think about when this came up. I remember thinking about Public Enemy's album "Fear of a Black Planet." I don't know why it just made me think of that album so much. And is there a fear of that among other people or if, of any minority group that this potential thought process that a minority group wants to gain power to potentially um, dominate another the group that was put, that was pushing them down? And I, you know, I, I don't, from my perspective, I don't see that like black folks are trying to gain power to put down other people. I don't, I just don't see that. That's I, I, just my own opinion. I feel like we just want to have good opportunities and an opportunity to do well and have good futures and presence and futures and, and prosper. But I think there, there could be some element of uh, this weird takeover mentality. I, I just don't see it. But I, when, when you threaten people's status, they get ugly. People don't like their status threatened at all. And when you when you threaten somebody's status, they will do anything to keep their current status. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm with you. And um, I, for what it's worth, I don't see that either. I really don't. I don't see, for example, black folks wanting to get in power so that we could get revenge on other people. I, I don't. Yeah. That's not been my experience. Not at all. Now, I will say this is something I'm keenly aware of is that for anybody who does think that way, for anybody who does think that, you know, once a certain group gets power, then they'll be able to do whatever that they want to to another group. Like that's, you know, depending upon what your faith is, or even if you don't have faith and you don't believe like that, just that goes against being a good person. And that's not anything, yeah. again, that I would want to be involved in. I've, you know, I've, I've heard people speak in that way. Don't get me wrong. I've heard people speak in those sort of tones, but it's like, that's the opposite. Like we, you know, you don't want to do what people have done to you. You don't want to mistreat people the same way that they've right. done to you. That just, there's so many things that blow up in your face when you do that. But my experiences has not been that case. Like black folks want to get back at people for slavery or whatever. Nah, yeah, that, no. that's not been my experience either. It's been more about, um, if anything, equality or just really being, having freedom. You know, just basic, basic freedoms <laughs> yeah. and not having to worry about being followed by a police officer when driving down a certain street yeah. or being killed or, or worse. 
I was actually watching this. It was another, I think it was on PBS, and it was essentially kind of the changing tide of demographics in the Midwest. And it was talking about this small town in Iowa that is, strangely enough, is becoming majority um, minority people. It sounded weird saying that, but you know the, the school system is made up more predominantly in this small town now of Asian Americans, African Americans, um, Hispanic Americans. And so it talked about this changing tide. And what's very interesting is they interviewed this guy who worked at one of these gigantic um, like factories that, you know, it's changing there too. And he says, well, I don't have a problem, but you know, I don't want, he goes, I don't want like Mexicans to like get a hold of our local government and then start putting their own rules in place, you know, and this and that. I'm like, why would you think that (laughs) a person of that descent would come in and do that? Like, and I just think it's, is status they're threatening this they think that there's some this illusion of threatening the status of like your life's going to be so much worse because there may be some hispanic um members of um government like that's crazy to me but but on that person's end they 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 see a town that's changing dramatically and it scares them you know right yeah absolutely and you know it it is kind of interesting because i i personally love diversity me too. I love diversity. I don't, I don't want to be in a room that's all humanity, uh, uh, one way, one or the yeah, other. Yeah, these homogenous you know? environments, you know, these monocultures, Absolutely. you know. It's just not my preference. And so I love diversity. I love different cultures, genders, backgrounds, expertise, thoughts. And, you know, some people welcome that. And, and like you said, some people, uh, they want things the way that they always have been. And, and you know, and I, I get that too. Um, I don't, I don't approve of racism, prejudice, bigotry, any of that stuff, but I understand it from a human, a human standpoint that people want it to be the way that it's always been. Um, and so sometimes they divide themselves into racial lines and all sorts of stuff. But that's, to me, that's silly. Like, um, I, I would love to have people of other backgrounds, whatever, to introduce some of the things that the thoughts that they have, because I've, I've seen in the business world that's done nothing but benefit me and other people, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Well, tell me a little bit. I would love to hear more about your work with black businesses and proving the black dollar. I, I think it's just not talked about enough on actually a lot of things like this podcast, and I would love to shed some more light on that. You know? I appreciate that. So the initiative that we began is called Black Business Matters, and it's birth of the idea that in a capitalist society, um, voting with your pocketbook is a way to affect real change. And if we want to see a change, then part of that is going to begin with economic empowerment. And what that means is black businesses um, need to basically be able to thrive more, right? If, if we have more black businesses that are doing better, Um, Business ownership is one of the great ways to generate wealth um, and and access to funds. So one of the things that we're doing is uh, we built, we're really kind of in the early stages of it, but we're building, um, um, we're utilizing Facebook to get some business owners uh, more exposure in terms of their businesses and looking at funneling some dollars to them. So what I've seen in the marketplace is I've seen a lot of black folks who are doing uh, business for us by us, but I don't see anybody really doing well um, business for us um, with everybody, you know, um, by us for everyone. And so just really quality black businesses, quality products, but that are for everyone. And, you know, again, I love diversity, right? So uh, no no shade or disrespect to, you know, black businesses that are doing it for black businesses and black-only communities. Those are needed. Those are, those are helpful. But to find uh, a way to open up that pie for more people and say, look, we have some great businesses here. Uh, we just want to see not only them supported more, but then also to help other, you know, to, to be able to give you access to these products and services by business owners who other people may not know about. And so we're highlighting those businesses that opens up the pie a lot more than also just um, 
you know, that helps to grow the wealth of these business owners. In addition to that, we want to be able to educate folks and not just black business owners, but particularly black business owners, but then also all people. And so we're, we're developing high quality content, content that really supports business owners in areas of marketing and how to start a business, um, how to scale a business. If you're doing an e-commerce company, what sort of things do you need to have, you know, um, online to, to grow your e-commerce company? What is a Facebook pixel? How do you set it up? What are Google analytics? How do you set it up? How do I know which market to go into? How do I know what product to choose? Um, how do I find my first clients? What are some things about sales so that I can sell uh, more to more people? You know, those type of things. We want to be able to educate people. We want to be one of the best that are doing that. Um, and then the, the third phase for us is really working with institutions um, because you can do things on a small scale, um, which is great, but I think there's an opportunity to work with some institutions, some larger partners to be able to make this have a greater impact. So, those are some of the things we're looking at doing. We have really just a, a phenomenal team that's involved with it. You know, from what I, my opinion, one of the best growth hackers in the world. Um, he has the most commented on LinkedIn posts in history. Um, he's on the team. We have a phenomenal writer um, who, you know, previously his uh, he did freelancing from some people, names, entrepreneurs that you would know. He was behind the scenes doing some ghostwriting, helping them with copywriting. He's on the team. And we, we have other people as well. So um, that's what we're looking at doing on the Black Business Matter side. And then I also have some other other business that supports that as well. That's awesome, Robert. I mean, really, um, you're actually doing it. <laughs> you know, you're doing things, which is what I have been saying, I think, with a lot of people. is It's, it's wonderful, the things that we're doing to get our voices out there. We also got to be action-oriented. And people like yourself are doing things may not be getting as much light shown on them. I want to help shine that light. So, I mean, you just being on here and your presence and um, your thoughtfulness with the things you talk about, I really appreciate that. And uh, I want to, you know, encourage and support you uh, as you as you do these things, man. Uh, I, I'm just, I'm very thankful to know you. I really am. And Dr. Parker, I really appreciate that. And I'm, I'm glad we were introduced to each other because our very first conversation was very much a thoughtful, considerate, empathetic, and uh, forward-thinking conversation. And so yeah. I appreciate you and in inviting me onto the podcast so we can have an opportunity to exchange. I love the uh, the free-flowing nature of this, just a, a normal conversation and yeah. uh, led true to your word in terms of just being able to kind of talk things out uh, beginning with the conversation we had and, and kind of finishing now. So, so thank you. I feel the same way. Yeah, man, that's great. I, well, I, I look forward to a continued relationship. You know, I always tell people when you come on the show, it's not a one-off, you know, you're in the, you're in my social network. And for me, that's meaningful people in my life and to continue conversations here and then and, and check back in with you. You know, I just did a huge, uh, amount of messages yesterday, checking back with every single person that's been on the podcast and just, Hey, you good. How's your life? How can I encourage and support you? It's just nurturing, you know, the people you're with. I really believe in that. So you're part of that, man. You know, I love that. I love that. I, I love that practice. I try to do the same as well. Uh, when people come to mind, just checking in on them, saying, hey, how are you doing? And so to see you do the same thing with relationships, particularly with the community that you're developing with the podcast is, is really cool to see. And I know it's um, genuine and authentic. So for sure. that's awesome. Thank you for allowing me to be part of it. Yeah, man. Thanks for your time. And uh, Robert, we'll be in touch. Sounds good. Have a good one. So let me ask you something. How do you get your news? Because I know you want to stay informed with what's going on here in the world. There's so much going on on a regular basis. And it's something that's been a problem for me personally. And I've been searching and searching and searching. And finally, I found a news source that I think all of my listeners are going to love. It's called The Donut, or The Dose of News Useful Today. The founder and CEO, Peter Nowak, is a good friend of mine. And when he turned me on to it, I was just blown away. Finally... A daily news source that delivers succinct and factual news about all the world's occurrences and it's an easy access to finding things that you just want to get information about and it also serves up a lot of positive news stories that you won't hear anywhere else it's your daily reminder that there is good in the world even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes so get the donut stay informed 
It's 100% free. You can unsubscribe anytime. Visit thedonut.co or text DONUT to 66866 to sign up today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone.